Luke chapter 12, verse 49 right now. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and so it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. I pray for us. Well, God, we uh, this morning just want to pray for uh, our new president, our new vice president, as well, Lord, for the new cabinet members, the people that will be leading our country. Lord, God, I pray for them. We pray that you would guide their decisions. Lord, that you would give wisdom. Lord, that you would grant to them repentance on a level that we've never seen before. God, we're praying that, uh, that you would bring about peace in our world, your kind of peace. And God, I'm asking that uh, you would allow us uh, to learn from you this morning, Lord, that we'd hear your word and Lord, that as a result, that we would come to a new understanding of who you are according to your word. Lord, I pray for all those who are suffering, all those who are uh, dealing with difficulty right now. God, we ask that you would uh, help them, that you would assist them, Lord, that you would heal them. Lord, I want to pray for all those that are doing well. Lord, that you would bring them to a place of need in you. Lord, many of us in this room, uh, honestly, do not think that we need you very much because we have enough. We have enough money. We have enough stuff. We have enough friends. Lord, bring us to an understanding of our deep need in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks for showing up this morning, being at Outward Church with us. We've been in Luke chapter 12, and uh, Luke chapter 12 has been uh, communicating some things to us just about uh, who Jesus is, what he wants from us, uh, what, he, what he desires for us, and I think it's really hitting on some issues that we have, some cultural issues that we currently have. Uh, some of you have asked me, uh, there's been a couple of questions that have come about as a result that have said, hey, uh, uh, Matt, did you, uh, did you change the order of the, the scripture to fit uh, what we're going through today? And the, the answer is no, I didn't adjust where we were in the passage. This just happens to be where I was in uh, the book of Luke uh, over the last three weeks here. 
And, uh, and so the Lord has really ordained uh, how this would happen. So if that's spoken to you, then you can just uh, uh, thank God for, for that uh, seeming coincidence because I think it is of the Lord. Today I think is important as well, and I think it's interesting to me. I don't know what the Lord's gonna do this morning in particular. I know we've got a passage here in front of us that uh, in essence, in some ways, kind of says the opposite of what our nation, or at least our nation's leaders, are hoping for. He talks about how he's come to cast fire on earth. He says, do you think I've come to, to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, <laughs> uh, but rather division. And this is one of those sayings that you can, you can kind of ask the question, Jesus, why did you say that? Why did you, why, why, why be so controversial? Why act like that? in this setting. Yeah, I don't know if you watched the inauguration uh, just a, a few days ago, but uh, one of the main themes of the inauguration, regardless of what you think about it, because we talk about politics here and we're just gonna be okay with that and it's okay to talk about those leaders and, and so forth, but one of the main themes was unity that was said over and over again. Unity, 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 unity. And there was a particular statement that uh, the, pres the new president, uh, President Biden, said, which is, we need to stop this uncivil war. And Jesus seems to be saying the opposite right here. It seems like Jesus is saying, we got to start a war kind of a deal. And what I think Jesus is actually saying here is that this is a different kind of division. This is a different kind of deal. This isn't... Uh, calling all Christians uh, to grab your AR and uh, get ready to fight. That's not what this is saying. As much as some of you might like that, maybe, I'm not sure. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking to us something that I don't think we would expect. We would like to think that Jesus is a particular way. Jesus is talked about in pop culture at times, uh, and even in Christian culture, and there's a great misunderstanding of who Jesus is. So much of a misunderstanding that I think most of the American church today has really misunderstood who Jesus is, what he means, and, 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 and how I should live as a result. Can we, all, can we all just come to the table this morning just assuming the worst for a moment about ourselves? Can we come to the table this morning and assume that we don't really know or understand this Jesus? And Jesus wants to, in a sense, wake you up to a reality. He wants you to see something. I think that's what this passage is going to do. If I had to, if I had to guess, I, I think that's what this passage is going to do. It might wake you up to the reality of who Jesus actually is. So in the midst of all of this talk about unity and getting rid of division, getting rid of this uncivil war between these political factions, the extreme right, the extreme left, all of the various people and groups that make up all of these fights, let's look at what Jesus has to say here for a moment. He says, I came to cast 
fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, this is what I came to do. I came to cast fire on the earth. And so you have to ask yourself, what is fire? What does it mean? What's that communicating to us? Well, oftentimes fire means judgment. And that kind of picks up on the theme of last week's sermon. You gotta remember, these are not disconnected passages. These are all written together. Luke wrote this. He's copying Jesus' words down, however he was doing it. Luke wrote this, and so this comes right after the last passage, which said, uh, just as it ended, said, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And Jesus is saying through that, you are accountable to me. You are accountable to Jesus. If you've been given this much, this much will be required of you. Jesus can require things of you that you have not decided to give to him. Jesus requires, and not just from you, but from all of humanity. Jesus has requirements, and if you've been given much, much will be required of you. So you are accountable to Jesus. In our world today, what we see much of is uh, quite a bit of anger. And we can talk about the extremes here for a second just to kind of give a segue into most of us are probably not burning buildings or knocking out windows in downtown Portland. Most of us did not storm the Capitol. Most of us are, do not even think that, that, that either of those are okay. But they're an example, a, an extreme example of what's really going on in our hearts. Because there's a lot of anger in our streets. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of anger that's happening in our world today. And it expresses itself in rioting at times. It expresses itself in lots of ways. But really, anger is just a mask for fear or anxiousness. What's happening with these uh, volatile political groups that are, that are getting angry, there's a deep-seated fear there that What's happening in our country today is not what I want to have happen in our country today. I don't want that to happen. I think it's bad for me. It's bad for my business. It's bad for my, my life. I won't get the health care that I need. I won't get the, uh, the, the, the money that I need. I won't get the, get the food. I won't get the freedom. I won't have the guns. I won't have whatever it is. See, anger is a mask for fear, and that's what's happening, and it's saying what What's going to happen in our world is not what I want to happen in our world. What Jesus is communicating to us is that it's not just in that setting, but it's in our personal settings as well. In your marriage, if you're married, oftentimes there's anger that comes up. It's hard to not have anger uh, at times in the context of living with someone else. I mean, even in a roommate situation or, or what have you, there's anger that comes up and it's a mask for fear that I won't get what I need. I won't get what I want. I, I won't get what I absolutely have to have. In your, your relationships, in your work, in whatever it is. It's ultimately saying this, that I must judge, I must be in charge, I must determine what needs to happen. 
Jesus turns around and says, I'm the judge, and I'm the one who will cast fire on the earth. I'm the one who will bring about this uh, intense discernment as to what is right and what is wrong. We reject that often. But Jesus wants to, in a sense, shove this in our face and allow us to see it. Jesus wants us to see who he actually is, how in charge he actually is over us. Jesus is so in charge that he controls every detail of life. He's sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over your salvation. He determines those who will come to him and those who will not come to him. And immediately what many people can find themselves saying is this, I disagree with a God who would choose to do that. Now I think that's exactly why God has put that in there. Because here's the reality about you and me. If you, maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you thought you've always been a Christian for most of your life. Maybe you thought, I chose Jesus and it's great, me and Jesus are, are really good friends. But Jesus says in John 6, he kind of communicates this idea that he is the one who has determined who will come to him. All that the Father has given to me will come to me. And then he says, and I shall lose none of all that the Father has given to me. Jesus has made this determination. Now, what is your response to that? Your response may be, I don't like that kind of theology. And my response to you would be, you don't like Jesus' theology. Because that is what Jesus says. Ephesians chapter 1 communicates this over and over again. Romans chapter 9. Many of these passages are, are very controversial. Because many Christians today do not want to believe that God is that much in charge. Why? Because ultimately, I want to be able to say what is right and what is wrong. I want to be able to determine what should happen and what should not happen. I want to be able to determine who should have the money and who should not have the money. I want to determine who should be saved and who should not be saved. I want to determine how my spouse should treat me. I want to de determine how my boss should treat me. I should make the decision. But Jesus has another thing for you. And he wants you to know specifically how in charge he actually is. He is absolutely in control of all things. He says, I came to cast fire on earth. I will be the final judge of all things. And church, the sooner you and I get this, the sooner you and I believe that Jesus is ultimately and finally in control, the sooner we can get on about the business of actually serving Jesus instead of serving ourselves. Too many times, the church has been turned into a purveyor of goods and services. Too many times, the church has been turned into a consumeristic exercise of a group of people who are just trying to get people to come in and sit in the seats and give and, and help with things and, and so forth instead of being about the Father's business. 
The way to discipleship is not to assert your right, your judgments, your beliefs. The way to discipleship, to actually following Jesus, is to take his statement here and just say, okay, so be it. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I want, I, I want people to see the real judgment that's going on here. I want them to see what actually is, what actually is going on, what's actually taking place. In a sense, you could say, this is the bad news of the gospel. This is the reality that like, oh my goodness, if my judgments are wrong and ultimately I've been trying to determine and to, and to decide what should and shouldn't happen, then ultimately what that looks like is this, is that I have a problem and that is that I have been offending the God of the universe. I have been somebody who is destined for hell. I am somebody who is ultimately underneath the judgment of God, and I don't have a prayer. I don't have the ability to save myself. I don't have anything that I need. Once you get to that point, then you can go on to the next point. Which is, Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress, and my distress until it is accomplished. Now, what does he mean about that? Does he mean I need to go get, be rebaptized? No. Baptism is used in two different senses, at least, in uh, the New Testament. One sense is literal baptism. We baptize people here when they make a profession of faith, and ultimately, being baptized is a profession of faith. It's saying in front of friends and family and the rest of the church and the community, hey, I am a follower of Jesus. I have been uh, uh, put to death and, and raised to life in Christ. That's what baptism is in that sense. But then there's another sense of baptism, which is this. A baptism is ultimately like a deluge, like being overcome by, by waters, being completely consumed. And Jesus says, I am going to be completely consumed. I have a particular kind of baptism. I am going to be completely consumed in how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus is speaking of this. He says, there's judgment there's the wrath of God that will be revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. There is this wrath, but then secondly, there is something that I am going to do. I am going to the cross. I am going to the cross. And, and Jesus is making this statement by, by saying, I'm going to the cross because of your wrong judgments. I'm going to the cross for your political factions. I'm going to the cross for all of your marital fights. I'm going to the cross for all of the ways that you continually sin against me over and over and over again. I am going to the cross and I will receive this amazing deluge of the wrath of God on me, Jesus says, and he's distressed about it. And why wouldn't he be? Because it is a horrific deluge, a horrific baptism to go through. He says, do you think I have come to give peace on earth? 
Because what he just said is controversial. I'm making judgments. Uh, 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 you shouldn't judge, Jesus. <laughs> Tell that to the king of kings. You shouldn't judge. Jesus says, I do judge. And I know that's controversial. And I know that that doesn't fit with our culture today. And I know you may not like it. And I know, may, uh, and I know you may not really agree with it. But he says, do you think I came to give peace on earth? Wait, 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 wait a minute. We always read this passage, Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. Uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men, right? The actual translation is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus is communicating to us that peace only comes to those who have a favorable response to him. I am the righteous judge. I have gone to the cross for you. How do you respond? Peace only comes to those who have a favorable response to him. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus is saying, when you really get to know me, when you really get to be a disciple of who I am, it actually doesn't create peace between you and your fellow man all the time. It actually creates division so many times. So he says in verse 52, for uh, from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and her daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus communicates this. We think that he should bring peace the way that we see peace. Let's go back to politics for a moment, which I know you love. We think that if just the right people could start making the right judgments and whatever political faction I'm in, then the world would be set aright. If the right people could make the right judgments, if we get the right person in office, then this, this would be great. This, this would be just fine. We think if my spouse would just do what I want them to do, then everything would be, would be great. If the people in my life would just obey me, my rule, my reign. Jesus is saying, no, when you're really a disciple of me, the people that you should be in agreement with, the people that maybe, maybe you, you've grown up with, you, you kind of run in the same circles, they're your kin. I mean, they, they're, they're connected to you. Like, there should be some relative peace there maybe. Jesus says, even the people that are closest to you may be against you because Jesus says this in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Fabulous, that's, that's great, Jesus. Uh, thanks for giving us peace. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, I give a peace that our world knows nothing about. I give a peace that has nothing to do with the peace that you think that you need. 
Jesus says, when you truly become a disciple, I'm not going to give, you're going to finally start to understand that I don't give peace in the way that you think I give peace. I don't, I don't make peace in particular areas with a, with a political party. I don't make peace in that way. I actually bring division. I actually bring division. So you know what's happening today? What's taking place? Is that they're disciples of Jesus Christ who are not losing their minds and are calling, are able to call out. They're able to criticize their own movement. Do you know, do you know what, what level of maturity in Christ it takes for you to be able to criticize your own candidate? Those of you online that are watching, what, is it, what level of maturity would you have to have in order to be able to criticize your candidate? Not just in one area, but maybe in totality to criticize your own movement, to criticize what's, what's going on. Because Jesus says this, when I come into your life, when my judgment reaches to the heart of things and who you are, it transforms things to, to a point where it's like, it's not comfortable anymore. Do you know how uncomfortable it is to be at odds with the people that are closest to you? When people advocate for policies that are really against life, in the womb or on the border? When people advocate for policies that are not good for life and you as a Christian need to stand and say, hey man, I disagree with that. And here's why, because Jesus is my judge. I don't get to judge who matters and who doesn't. I don't get to say who's created in the image of God and who isn't. I don't get to Say that, my Jesus, my God, my King, the one who casts fire on the earth, he is the one who gets to make the determination. He is the one who gets to make those rules. And so let me just say this as plain as I possibly can. If you're a Republican and you cannot criticize Republican politics, that's sinful. It's sin. How do I know that? Because Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, there is not even one. Their throats are an open grave, and so on. There is no one who is righteous. There is no Republican movement that has it all right. There's no one righteous. That includes everybody in the Republican Party. And guess what? It includes everybody in the Democrat Party and the Green Party and the Independent Party. If you're a part of a political movement and you can't criticize it, that's sin. <clears throat> because Jesus is the righteous judge. He's the one who has cast fire onto the earth, he is the one who will prove what is right and what is wrong. He is the final statement on all things. Now, if you begin to speak the truth in love, we're not supposed to speak angrily. 
We're not supposed to be speaking sarcastically all the time. So much sarcasm online. Can I just say this, Christians? I know we're getting into the details of, of your life and the things that, that are going on there. I think we just have to start talking about it. Listen, your regular criticisms, if that's you, your sarcasm towards governing authorities, I think of a new post every day that is sarcastic, that is critical, that is whatever. Keep those to yourself. But in speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth of Jesus Christ into those situations, being willing in the midst of a family dinner to say, I believe that people of color matter. It doesn't mean I support an organization. It means Jesus loves those people and I love those people. It may mean that you're sitting at whatever it is, a friend's house, and you say, I believe that Jesus loves people that are in the womb. I don't get to determine whether they have meaning. I don't get to determine whether they matter or not. They do matter. Jesus says, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? If you're looking for peace, you're in the wrong religion. You're in the wrong place. Jesus says, man, when you're a disciple of me and I am making your judgments for you and you've received me because of my baptism for you, it changes everything and you're willing to sacrifice a relationship, not for some political party, but for the king of kings, but for the savior, for the one who gave you everything. My wife has been talking about this statement. I think it's from Paul Tripp. I don't have an exact quote, but she keeps bringing it up. Just that, do you realize that you have already been given the greatest gift that you could possibly have been given? Think about that for a second. Think about all the things that you pray for. Think about all the things that you thank God for. Are you and I ever actually just going, God, I'm so grateful for your gospel. I'm so thankful for, for saving me. I'm, it, like, it's, it doesn't matter what else happens in life. It doesn't matter if I get the house or the car or the girl or, or the job or the success or the power or whatever. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters as long as I have you, Jesus. I think about this. If that's who we are to be, and that's not evident in our lives, then what are we doing? What's happening with us? Are we even Christians at all? Do, do, do we even know this Jesus? I mean, I, I am coming to a point where I'm just going, do I want Jesus? Do I, do I, do I desire my relationship with him? Do I, is that the most important thing to me? And I just have to confess that like so many times it's not. It's not. What does it take to be somebody who's able to be in the midst 
of a family or friend or whatever situation and to be willing to be misunderstood. To be willing to allow division to take place in the midst of your family. To allow division to take place because of your commitment to God. What is that? What is that? I wrote this in my notes. But Jesus has very little tolerance for the religious person who does not care about the poor. Jesus has very little tolerance, no tolerance, for the religious person that does not care about the poor. That should be convicting to us. It should awaken us to the reality that we have not judged rightly. Which is where he goes further in verse 54. He also said to the crowds, I'm going to stop right there and just acknowledge. Now he's speaking to the crowd. He was speaking to the disciples. Now he's speaking to the crowds. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus is saying to you and to me and to everyone, you can look at the, at the weather patterns, you can see this dark cloud that's coming, that's coming over top of you and I, and you can say, we're about to get a rain shower. I'm no meteorologist, but I do believe that's a very dark cloud, and it, I, I can see it coming. You can feel the wind, and you can realize, okay, it's going to get, it's going to be a scorching heat. Jesus is calling out our inability to even know what's going on or how to fix it. Why does Jesus put it in this order? I don't know. Jesus is communicating uh, to us, look at the world. Look at what's going on around us. You don't even know what's going on or how to fix it. I came to cast fire on the earth. I came to create division within these areas where division must happen. But you can't see it. You can't know it. You can't understand it. Jesus says, I've given you plenty of evidence as to who I am. And yet you refuse to believe in me. You refuse to trust me. You refuse to actually follow me. You refuse to do that. You should be able to look at my ministry and make a judgment about who I am. Because the biggest question that we have to answer is, who is Jesus? Versus who have I made him out to be? Who is Jesus? Does he rule and reign or doesn't he? Jesus is creating this dividing line and he's saying, it, you cannot 
be on middle ground. That does not work. Either you're all in or you're all out. Look at this, look at this world and, and, and see, you're, you are unable to see what's happening. You're unable to see who I am. You're unable to understand it. You're unable to discern what's going on here. And that should tell you something. Your anger, your fear, your anxiety, all of the stuff that's going on in your life, all of these discomforts and, and de depression and, and so forth are leading you to this point where you just go, I don't know which end is up. And it should be an indicator to say this, that Jesus is king and I should live under him in his kingdom. And so he says this, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Why can't you judge rightly? Why can't you get it right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. What? is Jesus saying here. Why are you unable to judge for yourselves what's right and wrong? What, why? Well, look at the world. Look at what's happening. Look at our lives. Look at our existence. Why are you unable to, to judge what, rightly what's happening? Because we're not the judge. And if we're not the judge, and someone else is the judge, then we've got a, a big debt. We've got a big debt. See, all of that should lead you to a point where you say, I'm going to accept the judgments of God, and, and that he is the final judge, the final rule maker. And so therefore... What that means then, if I don't have the right answers, if my political party doesn't have the right answers, if the things that I want aren't the right answers, then God has the right answer, and therefore, I have been wronging him. I've been sinning against him. For those of you that have been in Christianity for a long time, many of us are set in our ways in judging, determining, deciding what is right and what is wrong. We're not looking to the king for this. We look to ourselves for this. And Jesus says, when you come to the position where you realize, okay, he is the righteous judge. He is in charge. He's sovereign. He determines who will be saved. He decides. I don't. I don't have a say in it. Then all of a sudden you go, oh man, I'm in trouble. You know why I think a lot of people don't receive Jesus? Because if they were to start down that path, then they have to say that they agree with everything that Jesus has stated, and they will see sin after sin after sin after sin after sin, and they can't bring themselves to admit that they don't want to face the reality of the wrath of God. 
But Jesus says there's another way. Jesus says the person that you owe money to, because sin is a debt, is taking you before the magistrate, this official, in essence. He giving, he's giving a word picture here. And he says, before you get to the judge, make every effort to settle the account. What's that saying? It's saying there's a, a final moment, there's a final time. There, there's, there's this finality to the end. And as you go through life, you are building up a debt, building up a debt, building up a debt. And he says, before you get to the judge, go, go to the person that you owe to. Go to this person and make it right with them. Just say, okay, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. Jesus is saying to them, make every effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you to, over to the officer and the officer puts you in prison and you never get out. I think it needs to be stated Everybody lives forever somewhere. That there is an end to this world, but there is an eternity beyond it. There is an eternity. And Jesus says, you want to go to your accuser and make things right before you get to the judge. You do not want to get to the judge. You want to make things right with them. The problem is this. that you don't have anything to pay with, that you don't have anything to pay off this great sin debt that you have. But that's the baptism that Jesus went through. See, the baptism that Jesus went through was literal death, literal crucifixion, literal burial. But the baptism that you get to go through is in the water. It's the ordinance. And Jesus is saying that he is eager to pay for your debts. Jesus is eager to make things right. Jesus is eager to allow you to settle because he paid the price for you to be able to settle your debts. Why? Because he's good, he's kind, he's loving, he cares about you, he gave himself for you, he longs to have relationship with you, he longs to see you thrive. You can't even discern the weather. And there's a rainstorm coming. And Jesus says, I went to the cross. I went through that storm for you. I got rained on for you. So that you don't have to submit yourself to the uncivil war that our country is going through. 
so that you don't have to submit yourself to the lack of peace that this world has because Jesus gives you a peace through his baptism that you can never give to yourself. Don't you see that when you're clamoring for political power, that all you're doing is negating the reality that Jesus is actually in charge. When you're clamoring, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, when you're screaming, when you're yelling, when, you're, when you carry resentment, when you are just a little bit frustrated with your spouse, that ultimately you're saying, I think I need to be judged and I can fix this. And Jesus says, the results are proof in and of themselves. Look at your country. Look at your political party. Look at your relationships. Look at the stuff that's around you and see that you are not the right judge. I am the judge, Jesus says. I have judged that you have wronged me, but I went to the cross for you. Go to your accuser before you get to the judge and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ by admitting that you have judged wrongly and say, you're the true judge. You're the true king. And I want to give my life to you. Some of us, like we, we never talk about rededicating our lives to Jesus. That's an overused phrase. Uh, and people would get baptized over and over and over again. Then you're rededicating your rededication and you're rededicating that rededication of the former rededication. But some of us need to rededicate our lives to Jesus. Because your life has been dedicated to a political party up until now. Your life has been dedicated to your good to your peace, to your judgments. And maybe you need to realize, I don't know that I've ever believed in Jesus before. I believed in myself. I believed in politics. I believed in lots of things. Men and women, if the Holy Spirit were to move in our church in this way, what could happen? What couldn't happen? What could Jesus do? with us? What could Jesus do in our city? What could Jesus do in your relationships? What could Jesus do when people see that you're no longer a political activist, but you're a Jesus activist? What could Jesus do in that sense? What would he do? It's pretty powerful. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for the folks that we have here this morning, for the folks that are online. I'm hoping that many of them are convicted. I pray that they might see if they're angry at something that's been said this morning. I pray that they would actually take a good look at their own lives and maybe see that that's just a mask for fear. Lord, I'm praying that many would trust in you and would stop trusting in politics, stop trusting in many right-wing ideologies, 
or that they'd stop trusting in their relationships. God, that you'd convict us of that, and Lord, that we would see your great love for us in and through that. It's in your name. Can we go to the Lord's table here together? Can you go to the Lord's table without sensing conviction? If you can, you're doing it wrong. All of us have something somewhere. Not to grovel, not to relive it over and over again. All of us have stuff that we've been dealing with. Areas where we thought we judged rightly when in reality we judged wrongly. We have areas of sin. And the scriptures tell us that when we go to the Lord's table that we should be cognizant of our need for Jesus. So would you bow your heads with me and would you ask the Lord to point out sin in your life? Or would you show us where we've depended on the wrong things? Lord, I know my own sin. I know I got angry the other day when somebody asked me to put a mask on. It frustrated me. I forgot about glorifying you in that moment. I was wrong. I thought I was the righteous judge in that moment. Lord, I'm asking for your forgiveness. Allow me to see that you're truly in charge. Lord Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, I gave my blood for that sin. Hey, you don't have to carry it anymore. Hey, it's not yours. I took it on. I absorbed the wrath. I took the fire. I took that for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Man, worship is a party. Thanking Jesus for his grace and his mercy. Can we do that together?